Well, good morning. It is Moneycast uh, with, or even Money Talk with James Ross. It's 19 minutes uh, to nine o'clock. And in your money today, Carolyn Wright is asking whether the long forecast US recession that we've been talking about so much is ever going to materialise. Uh, good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Now, we all know that when central banks started hiking interest rates aggressively to combat inflation, experts warned of an impending recession. But even now, with interest rates across the US, UK and Europe at 20-year highs, the highly anticipated downturn remains elusive. I'm joined again today by Stephanie Lung, who is CIO at Stashaway, a wealth management platform, to ask what's going on. Thanks for joining me again, Stephanie. Hi, I hope you're well. Very well, thank you. Hope you are good too. So let's take a look at what's going on here. What would you say the key factors are delaying this recession that so many people have predicted? I think if we roll back a few months, the majority of investors that we speak to, or if you look at Wall Street analysts, a majority of them also expects a recession to come as soon as kind of middle of 2023. And I remember if we looked at the interest rate forecast or like market pricing of the Fed's interest rates just two, three months ago, people and the market was actually expecting the Fed to start cutting interest rates by the fourth quarter of this year because of the recession. Now, of course, we did get uh, quite a bit of market turbulence in the first half of the year. Just a few months ago, remember the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. And that was actually quite a stressful weekend for a lot of people. What happened was, of course, the Fed actually reacted very, very quickly. The Fed plus the US government came out with a rescue package uh, over the weekend, and that prevented basically the Silicon Valley Bank fiasco to spread into the bigger system. Subsequently, actually, if we track the data that describes whether the Fed is expanding liquidity or withdrawing liquidity, we've actually found that the Fed expanded its balance sheet in reaction to the stress in the banking system. So instead of quantitative tightening, which has happened throughout 2022, actually, if we look at liquidity and monetary um, policies in most developed markets, including the U.S., it has actually been a lot looser. So that supported a pretty buoyant stock market and also, I guess, somewhat prevented the US uh, going into recession. Now, of course, we do track uh, a lot of data. And uh, one of the very important data that we track is the Purchasing Manufacturing Index, uh, which is the, the PMI, which tracks purchasing managers' willingness to, or their expectation of how the economy is doing. And if you look at the PMI or the ISM in the US, it would indicate that the economy is already in a recession for a few months. However, this tracks the industrial side of the economy, i.e. the goods spending and uh, goods manufacturing, which indeed has been quite weak. However, because of the differences in COVID reopening, US consumer has actually been spending on a lot of service. So for the service side, it's still trying to recover from a COVID slump. So this also resulted in a better than expected economy for the U.S., uh, which I mean basically points to a non-recessionary outcome yet. For our own model, we also track the various economic regimes, which I mean our model signals it has been in stagflation since. December last year, it hasn't got into recession yet. So I guess, yeah, our model is indicating a similar involvement of the economy uh, for the US. 
Okay, now you mentioned the word stagflation there, and it is something that a lot of economists mention at the moment, but I'm not sure that everybody knows what that means. So could you explain what a period of stagflation involves? I think that's a great, great question, because there's no formal or official definition of a stagflation. There is a formal definition of a recession, which is uh, basically two quarters of uh, a slump in economic growth. However, stagflation is a bit looser in terms of the definition. And I guess at Stashaway, what we define is basically uh, inflation running above the trend uh, or the target uh, set by the central bank and also growth indicators below trend or basically the economy is contracting. If we think about stagflation broadly, it's a period where inflation is high, but uh, growth is actually slowing down or even contracting. And historically, we don't see a lot of stagflationary periods. And the last one that we've seen was actually before the financial crisis, kind of in late 2007. That's when, for our listeners who remember kind of long enough, the oil prices were trading above $100. And uh, we had the US economy also slowing because of the slowdown in housing markets. However, that period didn't last long and we went into a recession afterwards. So stagflation is part of the business cycle. It's part of the economic cycle that we inevitably go through. And it's a result of monetary policy expanding and contracting and how it interacts with inflation and growth. So you mentioned there that stagflation doesn't tend to last very long. So the next question is, are we finally going to get that recession happening soon? What is quite interesting about this cycle is that there's a lot of distortion by COVID. So this is an important distinction between this time and, uh, for example, in 2007. And also, of course, the central bank reactions are different because central banks also learn from history. We've seen that from Silicon Valley Bank, right? The reaction to a potential systemic risk was very, very quick. Whereas in 2007, 2008, it took the central banks a long time to react. So a long story short, the COVID distortion is the major driver behind a lot of the more drawn out timing difference because we are already in circulation by our model's estimation by over half a year already. Now, if we look at what is driving a sustained period of stagflation, meaning that the the inflation figures still uh, remain higher than the Fed's target, and it's coming down, but it's not coming down very, very quickly. The U.S. labor market actually explains a lot of this. And when we dug actually deeper into the data, and look at what are the drivers of still a very tight labor market, we found that actually during COVID, a lot of people left the uh, labor force, right? And there's this term called the great resignation. So some of these people who left the labor force have come back to the labor force. However, there's still 2 million people who are missing from the labor force. And these can be early retirees. So for a lot of people who were close to retirement age, once they decided I'm going to take an early retirement, they're not going to come back to work. And then also because during COVID, there was a lot of movements of people. So people moving to new cities or people working more from home. So it's also less likely for these people to, for example, take a restaurant job again. So a lot of these structural factors uh, distorted the labor market because of COVID. And that creates a still very tight uh, labor market, despite uh, what we're seeing to be a slowdown from the industrial side. So 
if I think about what is the impact of this, number one, we're seeing still a very tight labor market. So if you look at unemployment rates in the U.S., it's still sitting at historical low, despite the Fed tightening monetary conditions, despite the Fed raising interest rates. Secondly, it means that the wage growth inflation that we've seen may be able to sustain a little bit longer. So, of course, history rhymes but never repeats. I think what we're seeing quite different this time is that the labor market is actually supporting a longer transition from stagflation into recession. So, quick few words of advice to finish off with today. How should investors be playing the situation at the moment, given everything that you've said? So, I think interest rate being stable, interest rate decreasing, is good for bonds uh, and potentially, I mean, over the long term, it's also good for equities. So, as a long-term investor, I think the valuation right now compared to, let's say, I mean, 18 months ago is a lot more attractive and there are quite a lot of opportunities put to position over the next few months for the longer term. Thank you for explaining all of that. That is Stephanie Lung, CIO at Stashaway. Thank you.